Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. For more information about Adventure Church, please visit our website at adventurechurch.tv. Now prepare your hearts for a message from God's Word. Well, good morning. Hey, it's great to be with you. Uh, Mr. Hammond, uh, down on the front row, decided to give me a little elbow and said, hey, you have a ton of stories about Kyle. Why don't you go up there and give some dirt on Kyle? I said, I'm a guest in Kyle's house today, okay? I can't do that. But anybody who wants to meet me in the uh, parking lot after service, be happy to share. Happy to share. Uh, man, you nailed it, Kyle. Thank you for taking all of my intro. Uh, we are your missionaries in the Colorado and Utah area, and I want to thank you. You are one solo church outside of our district that supports our missionary work. And so I, I consider it a complete honor and a joy to be with you here this morning. As Kyle said, we do have a large family. If you see here on the screen, this is my crew. Um, and believe it or not, inside of the, the womb, there is another baby. October 17th, we shall have our sixth child. Some of you are saying, that's insane. I say that to myself every single day when I wake up and I look in the mirror. It is absolutely nutty, but uh, man, we love our family. I love what God is doing uh, in and through our family. We're recognized and kind of referred to in my area, my neck of the woods, as the mini mafia. My wife is Italian, and I'm a wannabe Italian. Pastor Kyle could attest to my favorite movies on the whole face of the planet are Rocky. Which one? One through six. Uh, those are my movies, man. So I married an Italian. I'm a wannabe Italian. So naming our kids, we had a lot of fun with this. And uh, we have our oldest is there on the right. That's Rocco. Then we have Bruno. We have Simona, Francesca, Franco, and a little surprise to be. Uh, so we've been referred to as the mini mafia where I come from. And uh, man, it's been awesome. So I, and, and if it's my mini mafia, what does that make me? Mr. Hammond, the godfather, right? And as the Godfather and as Door Youth Alive missionary, let me put it like this. We, uh, we kind of want to give the American teenager an offer that they cannot refuse. <laughs> and that offer is Jesus. Now, we are passionate about winning the American teenager for Christ. Youth Alive, in a nutshell, has everything to do with aggressively going after and pursuing the American teenager for the cause of Christ. And uh, man, God's given us some, some neat strategies and tools and some resources to be able to do that. And today I stand before you on behalf of my mini mafia and myself. I say thank you. Thank you for investing in us. You helped us reach a community for the cause of Christ in Delta, Colorado. You'll see some pictures that Matt's going to show here on the screen, and I'm just going to tell you the story. We get an opportunity to walk into middle school and high schools and do character education. This means that we simply come in and we challenge students in the area of character, choices, and dreams. It's a multimedia, student interactive, speaker-driven concept that engages the student. 
And they're stoked to be there and be a part of, of, of what's taking place. And we challenge those students in those areas of character choices and dreams. But what makes it unique and kind of special for you and for me is the opportunity to invite them to a night rally. Because that night ra- rally is voluntarily attended, uh, we're able to preach the gospel and share our faith story with those students. And we've seen God do some amazing things. Little town, Delta, Colorado. Uh, with one middle school, one high school. We got to walk into their community in mid-May and hang out and uh, present to their students. At the night rally, we saw about 250 students attend that night rally, and 125 of them responded to the gospel message. What I consider a joy is this, that we are working on the front end, weeks, maybe even months in advance, sometimes up to three months in advance, with churches, cross-denominational boundaries in that community and the communities that we go into. And so we're working with all different churches uh, to come together and say, hey, let's roll up our sleeves and let's aggressively go after the student generation for the cause of Christ. And, uh, and then they're all followed up on by those local churches. It's awesome. Thank you for you helped us uh, share Jesus with 1,500 students in camps this summer. We had the opportunity to participate and uh, to preach in in several different camps, five different camps to be exact, uh, with 1,500 students uh, that were coming through those camps. We had the opportunity to share Jesus with them and encourage, equip, and empower them to win their friends for Christ. Thank you because you helped us train students like Cody and his two crazy brothers from West Texas, right here in Columbus, Ohio, this week. Uh, We were a part of a convention downtown. Some of you may or may not know, but there was about uh, 10,000 students that gathered from across the country and bombarded Columbus. And we had the opportunity to train students in evangelism so that they could be effective in sharing their faith. And then we sent them out into your community. Uh, Thank you for allowing us to do what we do. This month, we'll have the opportunity to train hundreds more through our campus missionary conferences uh, that are taking place on the Front Range and the West Slope in Colorado and also in Utah. These are great opportunities, once again, to rally students, middle school and high school, because I know this. I know that, that my voice in a middle school and a high school is fairly limited. I know that the greatest influence in that school are students. And we have the ability to gather students, middle school and high school students, who are stoked about what God is doing on the inside, and they desire to let it show on the outside. And we get to be able to facilitate them and kind of encourage, equip, and empower them to share their faith in Christ, to share Jesus with their schools. So once again, I simply say thank you for Uh, helping us on our journey. We do have some information for you. Uh, These are at the table. I believe Bob is going to be at the table following the service this morning. So please pop by and get one of these. I went to Kyle's house yesterday for dinner. And this magnet, this is a magnet, and it was all tore up. (laughs) But it was on his refrigerator. Now, I was concerned of why it was all torn up. But it really didn't matter because it was on his refrigerator. Take us home with you and pray for us because we are your Youth Alive missionaries and we're stoked 
to be able to serve in that capacity. Let's direct our attention to the Word of God. If you can take your Bible and go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. If you're taking notes this morning, this, uh, this simple message is, is entitled, Adventure Church Plugged. Adventure Church Plugged. Why that title? Because I believe that we as a church are called to be an extension cord of who Jesus is. I believe that we're called to plug into the power of of the cross and then take that power to this world that's all around us. You see, God has positioned you in a very unique place, a very unique neighborhood, a very unique family, uh, a unique workplace. God has done all of that for a purpose. And that purpose is so that we can let our light shine in this very dark world. Adventure Church Plugged. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. It reads like this. Jesus traveled through all of the towns and the villages in that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send out more workers into this, his harvest field. I want to point out just a couple of movements within this text that are going to help you and help me become more effective in winning people for the cause of Christ. We're able to uh, draw some things from this passage that are going to help us be more effective witnesses for Him. The first is this. If we're ever to plug into our generation and the student generation, then we must, one, be moved with compassion. Everybody say compassion. 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 Compassion is a huge issue. Compassion is a huge word. And you know what? We gather and we rally around this word quite frequently in the 21st century. You know, we gather around it and we say, hey, let's have compassion on people who are hurting. And we love to rally around some humanitarian efforts. Compassion. Matthew chapter 9, 35 and 36. Once again, it reads like this. Jesus traveled through the towns and the villages of that area, teaching and preaching, announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. In verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion. He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When I read this text, I ask myself a couple of questions. The first question being this, Why was he moved with compassion? We see the answer is in the latter part of verse 36. He was moved with compassion because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. That's interesting because here we live today, and we have to ask ourselves the question, are we moved with compassion? Because God knows that we're surrounded by people who are beat up and broken, we're surrounded by people who are confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Are we moved with compassion? 
Jesus was moved with compassion when he looked out and he saw these people who were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. The second question I ask is this, where did the people come from? Where did these people come from? Where were they traveling from? Why did, how, how did they show up that day? What brought them to that place? I believe that if we go back into verse 35, we understand the answer to that question. Jesus traveled through the towns and the villages of that area, teaching and preaching in the synagogues. That's, that's cool. Let's, let's pause right there for just a second. Because, man, I don't know about you, but I love to hear good preaching. I, I, could, I could sit and listen to your pastor week in, week out, and not get tired of it. He is a strategic, intentional, prayerful uh, deliverer of the Word of God. It's, you, you rally around good preaching. And it was no different for these people. You know what? They wanted to be around some good preaching. So in verse 35, it talks about how Jesus went from town to town, village to village, teaching and preaching the good news. People want to hear the good news. So you know what? They show up. And so I got a feeling that that was the minority that day that, of the people that were showing up. Why is that? Because also in verse 35, it says that he went uh, from town to town, village to village, not only teaching and preaching, but also healing every sickness and every disease. Now, let's take a peek at that. You know, I mean, there's, there's a few people that will rally and say, hey, I'll, I'll go a long distance, I'll pack my lunch. And I'll walk mile after mile so that I can hear some good preaching. But there's some other people that showed up that day that I feel as though they were probably the majority. And that was the people who were broken. They were busted up. Life was not pretty. As a matter of fact, it kind of stunk. They had some problems. They had some baggage. They had some issues. But they heard about a man named Jesus who was down the way that was doing some miraculous things. I don't know about you, but man, if I was stuck and if I was, uh, if I was deaf and I couldn't hear, but, but somebody communicated to me that, hey, there's a man named Jesus who's healing people from being deaf, I would find out a way to show up. If I was blind and I heard them talking about how Jesus was healing blind people, I don't know about you, but I'd grab a hold of somebody and say, okay, show me the way. i got to show up because I need God to do a miraculous uh, thing in my life. I need Him to move inside of me. So I have a feeling that the majority of the people that were coming that day were there because they needed God to move miraculously in their life. There were also a few people that were there to hear some good preaching. So here you see it with your mind's eye as Jesus is there over that hillside and he's rallied with his disciples and he begins to look up and see crowds of people coming from the north, the south, the east, and the west and here they come and they're beat up and they're broken. He looks out among them and his heart is moved with compassion is what the text says. And I remind us today that it was compassionate love that drove Jesus to do what Jesus did. Compassionate love. 
Compassionate love found himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, interceding, praying fervently. It was, it was compassionate love that found himself being interrupted in that moment only to be arrested by the Roman soldiers. Compassionate love said, here I am. Compassionate love found himself in an environment where he was beat and mocked and ridiculed and made fun of. Compassionate love. Compassionate love is what drove Jesus to do what Jesus did. Compassionate love found himself surrendered up under the whipping post to receive the cat of nine tails across his body. 39 lashes. Compassionate love is what drove Jesus to do what Jesus did. Compassionate love got down and shouldered an old rugged cross to carry it up a hill called Golgotha, the place of the skull. Compassionate love drove Jesus to do what Jesus did. Compassionate love put his feet together and stretched forth his hands to receive the spikes. He did all of that for you and for me. He did all of that, not only for us, those that come to church, but He did it for all of humanity. Sometimes I feel like, hey, you know what, we show up to church and we, we did it, man. You know, we, we did the good deed today. We did our thing. We're square. God's got the pass on us, man. I don't know about that, that joker down the street, but, but man, I know I'm good. Man, Jesus died for the dude that was driving the spikes through his hands. Jesus died for that one that was applying uh, the whip across his back. Compassionate love drove Jesus to do what Jesus did. And it wasn't just for the good, pretty people. It was for all of humanity. The question for you and for me is, are we moved with compassion? I know that in my life, I wake up many times and I'm calloused over a little bit. And sometimes I look at people not with the compassion of Christ. I'm guilty of reading papers and and I'm guilty of watching news broadcasts. I'm guilty of hearing bad reports and not being stirred in my spirit. Not being moved with compassion. God help us. If we're ever to connect with our generation and the student generation, we must be moved with compassion. And number two, we must see the harvest like Jesus sees the harvest. We must see the harvest like Jesus sees the harvest. In your mind's eye there, we, we, we see him coming over the hill and he's gathered with, with his disciples. And in verse 37, after he is, his heart is moved with compassion, he communicates to his disciples, the harvest is Plentiful, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Jesus begins to communicate about the harvest. I believe that we can draw a couple of things from that. One, he looks out of the harvest and says it's huge and of great value. These are people who are ripe and ready. And these are, this is a harvest that must be harvested in the proper time. Those words didn't mean all that much to me up until 
just recently when I had a job of mowing my neighbor's grass. My neighbor said, hey, I'm out of here for three months. Can you take care of my house this summer? I said, yes, sir, I'll take care of the house. I'll make sure the weeds are down and uh, I'll make sure your grass is trimmed in and we'll, we'll do it inside and out. Boom, he says, you're hired. Good. So I'm out there and I'm doing what I'm hired to do. I'm taking care of the weeds and I just got done taking care of all the weeds at my house and now his house and, and now I'm cutting my grass and his grass and I see that there's this tree in the backyard. He's got two fruit trees. And one is, a, uh, is an apricot tree. And this apricot tree is full and they're huge, you know, big, ripe pieces of fruit. And it looks awesome. It's so heavy that those branches, you know, are kind of weighing down to the ground. This fruit tree is so... Uh, so saturated with this amazing fruit. And I said, wow, I just got done, you know, taking care of my weeds, his weeds, my grass, his grass. Dude, I'm tired. Dude, I'm, you know, I know I should probably do something with this fruit, but now's not the time. You know, brother's got to go in, get a glass of water, kick his feet up, watch some Saturday football. You know, I'll do this at another time. And so it's a whole week goes by that I don't, I don't think about it anymore. I don't catch it. I come back that next week and what happens? I take care of my weeds, his weeds, my grass, his grass, and I'm mowing the grass and I'm looking and I'm going, what in the, in the world is happening? What happened? There was a lot of that fruit that was huge. You know, the harvest was huge and of great value. It was ripe and it was ready. And it must have needed to be harvested in the proper time because that fruit had begun to fall to the ground and began to rot for a lack of labors. My fault. I needed to be that laborer. Now, can I tell you that I did my best to clean up the mess, harvest what was left, but I didn't seize the moment. I didn't seize the moment that God had given me. We have to seize the opportunity of a lifetime within the lifetime of that opportunity. I got redemption. There was another tree. It was a nectarine tree came into bloom a little bit later. And I saw that a little bit differently. I saw the harvest like it was intended to be seen. Huge, great value, ripe, ready, needed to be harvested in the proper time. We had jam coming out our ears as I harvested that tree. Stats still to this very day tell us and show us that 85% of those who come to know Jesus Christ in America do so before the age of 18 years old. We have to seize the opportunity of a lifetime within the lifetime of that opportunity. God is calling us 
to serve as Youth Alive missionaries. God has called us to reach the American teenager for the cause of Christ. We see this harvest as huge and of great value, ripe and ready, and a harvest that must be harvested in the proper time. Does that mean that people can't come to know Christ following high school? Not at all. God can do it however He wants to do it. But I see a window. I see a window where we need to charge and we need to seize the moment. If we're ever to reach or if we're ever to plug into our generation and the student generation, one, we must be moved with compassion. Two, we must see the harvest like Jesus sees the harvest. And three, we must pray to the Lord of the harvest for more workers. We must pray to the Lord of the harvest for more workers. Matthew chapter uh, 9 verse 38 says exactly that. So Jesus looks, and remember, he's rallied with his guys. He's seeing these groups of people come his direction. He's moved with compassion. He points out how he sees the harvest to his disciples. And then the next thing he says is pray to the Lord of the harvest. Ask him to send out workers into this, his harvest field. I love that because, Mr. Hammond, we can't actually honestly and sincerely pray that prayer without investing ourselves as a part of the solution. We cannot honestly and, and, and sincerely pray that prayer unless we invest ourselves as a part of the solution. Uh, for an example, let me give you this. The example is, dear God, Save my dirty, rotten neighbor any which way that you possibly can, but don't use me. God, you know that knucklehead at my work. Would you do something amazing in his life any which way that you can, but don't use me? You see what I'm saying? We can't honestly pray, God, would you save those that are lost around us? without investing ourselves as a part of the solution. God has called you and God has called me. Anyone with the right relationship with Jesus Christ to step to the plate and offer ourselves as workers in his harvest field.